Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, first, I'd like to apologize for the brief hiatus I took. Uh, you know, we all know what's going on around in the world. So I needed, to, I needed to take a step back, kind of focus on the things around me. But in that time, I thought about this podcast a lot and what it meant to me, how much fun I had doing it, and how much I missed doing it. Uh, and, you know, every week I'd always, I'd keep reading and I'd keep telling myself I was going to make another episode. Uh, but I had a few changes I wanted to do in mind. I, this project is like my, my child and I want to, I want to raise it right. Uh, and when they announced the Fantastic Four movie recently, you know, they got the director over at Marvel and they're getting all their ducks in a row for it. I got excited. I got excited to come back to this podcast and I want to, uh, I want to try something different. I want to look at different eras of Fantastic Four. I want to, I want to incite the excitement that I had when I read certain stories because hopefully this movie will bring a whole new audience of Fantastic Four fans and hopefully they stumble upon this podcast as well and instead of being you know forced to hear the the original stories from the 60s which are amazing by the way that's not how I got into the Fantastic Four and I want to say that like I don't know anybody you know other than those who were around in the early days who got into the Fantastic Four that way? It took for me to read a story that appealed to me in order to appreciate the older stories. And in that case, I wanted to examine just kind of, I wanted to jump around. And I, forgive me if I'm stuttering, I'm kind of going off the cuff right now because I also wanted to be a bit more conversational with you guys. You guys are taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. And I want to, get, I want to, I want to hang out with you. I want you to feel like you're hanging out with me and I want to talk about stories with you. Uh, so what we're going to do now for this triumphant rebirth in the Yancey Street podcast, I'd like to examine the first volume of the current Fantastic Four series. It started back in 2018 with Dan Slott. So sit back, relax, and welcome back to another episode of It Started on Yancey Street, a Fantastic Four podcast. Oh yeah, True Believers, this is the podcast about the world's greatest comic magazine, and we're back. Just how this issue came back, uh, out of nowhere for a lot of people. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, which I don't want to get into too much, but I would love to in another podcast maybe, but Secret Wars happened back in 2015, right? I believe, 1415, one of those. Uh, If you haven't read it, highly suggest it. Uh, but after that, the FF kind of disbanded. And like I said, I can't go too much into it without going off on a crazy tangent, but they were gone. We hadn't, we hadn't seen a Fantastic Four comic on the shelves for years. Um, and I feel like a lot of people didn't care. A lot of people didn't mind that. A lot of people didn't even have the thought to ask, you know, because of the way the stories ended and stuff. But and then miraculously, you know, they announced the Fantastic Four returned with Dan Slott. As the writer who had Spider-Man for like 10 years. But uh, Volume 1 was a good return. And I want to, and I say that against a lot of other people's opinions. Because while this, is, while this volume lacks like door busting, you know, fan, you know uh, fantastic <laughs> uh, action. 
it makes up for in wholesome storytelling while also driving a forward narrative. And I want to say that because the Fantastic Four, I forget who said it, where I read it, etc. This is a quote that I'm butchering, but the Fantastic Four is not about like, you know, high over the top high action. It's about a family of adventurers. And that's kind of what I've grown to love about the family of the Fantastic Four and the stories. But and I know a lot of people feel the same way. We got Dan Slott writing, Sarah Pacelli, Simone Bianchi as artists. Uh, Scott Young does a little backup story in the end of issue one. And on colors, it's Marte Gracia. Uh, we're going to kind of go over these issue by issue, but I'm also going to be talking kind of uh, generally about the volume. But I also want to read the official like uh, advertisement for the first volume. Uh, and it says, the wait is over. The Thing, the Human Torch, the Invisible Woman, and Mr. Fantastic, the first four heroes of the Marvel Age of Comics, are about to be reunited. Experience the grand return of the greatest family in the Marvel Universe as an event occurs that will radically alter the Fantastic Four. Reed and Sue Richards return home with their children. But things have changed. And while Alicia Masters and the Thing ponder a big change of their own, the next chapter begins in the life of Victor Von Doom. Plus... Who are the Marvel Universe's newest fabulous foursome, the Fantastics? How did they come into possession of the Baxter Building? And what does that mean for the original Fantastic Four? The world's greatest comic magazine is back and better than ever. And damn it, so is the podcast. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to take a look into the first few pages of Volume 1 titled Forever. Um now, before I go any further, I want to let you guys know that I will be including spoilers in these episodes. So if you haven't read these uh, volumes or issues, so on, and you would like to, uh, feel free to pause this and then listen to it after as like a companion, like I always say. Um, but I want to include the spoilers in my episodes because I want you guys to experience something the same way that I am if I'm reading it for the first time or if I'm rereading it after a long time. Uh but I'm going to come out the gate swing and let you guys know that the reason they've been missing is because they've been off world. And Franklin Richards, who's like an Omega level mutant, who like the strongest in the Marvel Universe, was creating these universes after the catastrophic events of Secret Wars to kind of repopulate the galaxy. He would use his imagination with prompts from other people in the Future Foundation and with his bare hands would create these universes and... and sustain them and they would go visit them uh which is just classic sci-fi and i think it's brilliant and it's an awesome way to kind of place the family somewhere while ben and johnny were like mourning them back on earth like ben had kind of lost all hope at some point uh was starting to look forward in his life was starting to look forward to the next the next thing so he proposes to alicia masters after reminiscing on his family but Johnny Storm's not so reluctant to let the idea of them go. Um, you know, Ben asks him to be the best man at his wedding, and Johnny kind of loses his temper at him, uh, lets him know that, like, it's it's impossible for him to lose hope. But as he starts to realize that he needs to also kind of grow out of it, an almost blinding blue light covers New York, and everyone looks to the sky. Uh, including other heroes, Luke Cage and Medusa, and they all see a giant number four glowing in space. And that's like the sign that the family's doing fine. That's like their first contact that they've had with them in, in, you know, in who knows how long. 
which you come to find out for Earth, it's been, you know, real time, three years. But they were traveling through universes, so, you know, the whole relativity of time and space kind of did apply to the family out there. But uh, upon one of these worlds that they were visiting, uh, like, the fabric of their reality starts to tear. And this is something that I really enjoyed about this volume was the introduction to uh, the Griever at the end of all things. Hold on, let me get that name right. Let's see, it's the Griever at the end of all things who is like an entity like you know like eternity and chaos etc etc uh and she's literally like almost like a watcher like she shows up because she's about to witness the end of these things uh and she causes hell for every planet that she finds the ff on uh inevitably uh starting a, the confrontation with them challenging them to which reed kind of flips it on his head and instead of him fleeing to Earth, where she can destroy, you know, destroy Earth and kind of consume them all, watch it all end, and grieve, he invites everyone who's ever been a member of the Fantastic Four. Uh, he doesn't invite them. He abruptly teleports them from Earth onto this universe that Franklin's created uh, for the battle. And I'm talking to everyone. I'm talking. Storm, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Medusa, Ghost Rider, Luke Cage, Black Panther, She-Hulk. Uh, and there's a little bit of something that I am confused about is you come to find out that Hulk was there. Uh, and he kind of turns the master plan that Reed had been implementing the whole time, which I'll get to. But he's been doing it in secret and he didn't want himself to be like talked about being there. Like He didn't want it to be revealed that he came to help. Um, to which I'm actually not aware of. And I'm sure that the more I read this and the more I review with you guys, we'll be able to call back to this episode and talk about it. Uh, so the whole plan is while they're traveling through these planets to avoid the griever at the end of all things, it's like shattering the multiverse that Franklin had created, which is kind of like an upset if you think about it, because the power that they all hold to be shattered that quickly by a character who who lacks an honest motivation other than just being bad. You know, the griever at the end of all things is just there to be, you know, evil, to which I kind of like, you know, curiously winced at when I was reading, but still, still a cool character, still a really cool concept. Still a cool idea to be brought back one day. Um, but the Grim at the end of all things has Franklin hostage at one point. But you find out that uh, she doesn't know her way around the machine that she offered the Fantastic Four. So essentially what Reed did is he made it look broken. She had no way home. He made it so they could all get home safely. It was kind of like a, he outwitted her. There was no winning the fight. Uh which is kind of like it was like a mini arc within the arc that I I wish had lasted longer. I could have read about an actual battle between the Griever at the end of all things and the FF for it. I could have read it for six issues. Uh, I would have loved to have seen them fully flesh out the character. Uh, but again, I could be I could be uh, jumping the broom or whatever they say. Like I could be jumping the gun is probably more appropriate, but. Uh, she could come back for all I know, but they tie it all together with like, you know, at least we got our family back, man. You know, and then uh, 
like you know we're all we're all back together just like old times and spider-man's like fist bumping franklin and and everything's cool and awesome and it was just a very lackluster interaction but the thing is is the more i I read it i've read it a few times i read the volume and I, i came together that the volume was about the reunion and like the love and support they all needed to to conquer something like the griever at the end of all things like it took for the family to get back together and the extended quote-unquote family to assist in the fight uh and as much as i would have loved something like chaotic and you know more you know more on on the line to lose uh, as I let it soak in me after I read it, I really appreciated the message that it kind of got out there. Because, like I mentioned, this is a st- it's a story about an, an adventuring family. Uh, but that's not to say that the Fantastic Four is lackluster, because they do get their hands into a sticky mess a few times. But uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about was in the time of Secret Wars uh, and Dan Slott's writing Spider Man, the Baxter Building became Spider Man's. So when the Fantastic Four returned to Earth, they realized that they don't have anywhere to go. Uh, not only that, uh, there's been another team of four uh, trying to take their place, and they're called the Fantastics, which they make sure it's to let you guys know that it's spelt with an X at the end. Uh, and it's essentially just a knockoff brand of the Fantastic Four, like... One of like the guy who's supposed to be Reed looks like Flat Stanley. It looks like an Iceman beast crossover. Like it's just supposed to be like another wannabe team. Uh, and this was, in my opinion, a very very obvious, uh, almost like a filler issue because nothing really crazy happens. And Reed. On, upon returning, they kind of just analyze what's going on because a giant robbery is happening, and all the criminals are like, you know, what a best, what a better time to rob this place when the Fantastic Four are, are in space and all the heroes are in space, and and then the Fantastics show up, you know, kind of teeth glimmering for the cameras, kind of like we'll take care of you, bad guys, and then very anticlimactic you come to find out that they were paid by the fantastics to look really good uh and brainstorm goes you know i'm with the fantastic four i know what they're paying you if you stop we'll pay you double and the criminals are like oh my god we'll take the money because we're obviously being paid and the fantastics kind of their jaws all dropped because they've been exposed um and they all shake hands. It's it's a very like it was almost like a very silver age interaction that I laughed at. I don't hate it. There's nothing about this volume I don't like. Uh, I know it was received with very mixed reviews, but this is just my opinion. Obviously, you can go through other reviews if you'd like. But this whole first volume felt very like wholesome and silver age and like not too dark and. Like there's always some there's like some message about family, but uh so they shake hands with the Fantastic, so they're just like hey man like we don't hate you but this is our this is us like we got this, uh, but then like I said they don't have the Baxter Building so they didn't know where to go, and a nice little callback uh the Fantastic card I don't even know what it's called anymore like the hovering Fantastic Four vehicle, uh the thing pulls that out of storage, 
and they move into a new building where they're going to be commencing their operations. And that building is for Yancey Street, which I think is like the perfect way to end this first volume because we kind of get a taste of everyone being back together. We get a taste of how the new dynamic's going to be. Uh, as far as this first volume, you don't really see Johnny Storm and Ben duking it out. Why? Because they've been isolated for the last three years. They're just so content to be a team again. Reed seems more melancholic. He's more pensive. He's more like 10 moves ahead than he's, he's seemed in the past without see, without being crazy. Uh, this focuses more on uh, Brainstorm and I forget what they call Franklin. Franklin Richards, they gave him a name. Which I'll have to I'll have to key in in the notes of the episode, but it's focusing a lot on them. And from seeing promotional images from the future episodes, I know that it focuses a lot on Franklin. Franklin's a big deal right now, especially with Hickman's X Men and Krakoa and Professor X reaching out to him, which I will get to in future episodes when I cross that bridge. But uh, this first volume is also. Uh, tied together with one one very very small story at the end of the first issue in the volume and that is about dr doom it just throws us right into doomstead which is the capital of latveria and there's like servo guards in the streets uh it looks like there's like they're enforcing a curfew uh and someone in breaks into castle doom attacked by tons of doom like doom robots and uh, she's like, I need your master. This woman's screaming that I need, I need, I need your master. I need your master. And Doom, who's just wearing a hood and is shirtless and like a skirt, pretty much, which is the most power move. Uh, orders her to leave, and she she just tells her that that now more than ever, the people of Latveria need Doom. They need his his reign. They need him to be their savior. Uh, and Doom very calmly tells her, he's, he's like, you know, I've played a god, I've been a hero, I've been paid handsomely for the things that I've done. Um, like, I'll tell you, or excuse me, tell me, is this the face of your savior? And she kneels down and she takes off one of the, the faces of the Doom robots and she's like, those scars show your sacrifices uh, and Laveria welcomes the face of Doom. This is your true face. And Doom, like in the pale moonlight with his scarred and burned face, looks at the face of the, looks at his mask. And he looks at her and finds out her name is Zora. And she go and he thanks her for reminding him uh, that the face of Doom is the face he was actually born with. And his it like ignites him. It ignites a fire within him to rise up again. And uh, the moment he rises up with the face of doom over his own face, everyone recognizes and respects him. And it's a, such a commanding presence. His hands glowing with magic. Uh, and he says, uh, "Bear witness and watch me free these people from the tyranny by the strength of my will and by my hand alone." 
And it's a very ominous ending to what is only like a three page, like a little mini at the end of the, of the first issue. Uh, but it's called doom and victory. Now I don't know exactly what happens or where doom lies in this series. I'm actually very excited to get to that. You guys who've listened to the five episodes before this know how much I like doom. Uh, but yeah, that it ends that first issue very ominously, and it doesn't touch on it again for the first volume. So I'm super excited to get to that. And honestly, that is what ties the entire volume together and what ends this episode. Uh, what did you think of this episode? If you're listening to this after such a long hiatus, I want to personally thank you. Uh, I had tons of fun uh, reading this volume and also kind of getting into the habit of writing an episode again. It was super therapeutic for me. Uh, and now that I feel like I have my head on my shoulders a little tighter, I will be cranking these out more often. Uh, also, let me know what you think of the production, quote unquote, production value of this. Like I said, I wanted to be a little bit more conversational with you guys. So I, I made sure to make the episodes more than 10 minutes long, but uh, that's about it for me. Again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for stopping by. Uh, in the future, we're going to be reviewing more and more Fantastic Four content. I want to branch out from the norm. I'm still going to be doing a few throwback episodes where we go through the 60s issues, etc., etc. But I want to I want to keep my ear to the ear to the ground with the movie, any updates. I want to just talk uh, the Fantastic Four as a whole. Uh, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Yancy Street. And if you have anything, I'm going to be uploading these on YouTube as well. Shoot me any feedback. I love talking with other Fantastic Four fans. And I will catch you guys next time. Thanks again, True Believers.